my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show where we talk about Bitcoin and we talk about this decentralized revolution. I'm really just trying to bring everything that's happening in the world into context so you can understand it. Because I know, I know, things are crazy out there right now. Politics, finance, technology, everything's moving inflation, deflation, economy, whatever. And so I'm trying to bring that to you each and every week. And I'm in the studio right now with a friend, Whit Gibbs. He's uh, the CEO of Compass Mining. And uh, you can find him on Twitter at Bitcoin Broski. And um, I want to bring to you, um, I try to bring to you some interesting perspectives each and every week. So uh, anyway, Whit, thanks for joining me in the studio today. Mark, thanks for having me on. I appreciate this. Yeah, cool that you just happened to be in LA and you could swing by uh, swing by these studios here. Um, not a bad place, huh? Got a great setup here. Yeah, yeah. Got, a, got a pretty good setup. Uh, I mean, you know, we can do it remote over Zoom, but it's uh, much more fun being in the in the studio here. You just can't recreate the person-to-person experience, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. there's d- definitely, definitely better doing it um, person-to-person. Um, I want to talk, obviously, we're talking about Bitcoin. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, Bitcoin has so many things that are mm-hmm. revolutionary about it. Um, but I love the fact that it's like open, borderless, permissionless. 
decentralized, et cetera. And one of them is that it's permissionless. And so that means that you don't need permission. Right. So there's a, I saw the, you you know, as of a couple of years ago, UN said there was 2 billion adults in the world that didn't have bank accounts. Someone said the other day, 4 billion. So it's somewhere in that number. Um, and they don't have it because they don't have permission. Right. But anybody can just download a Bitcoin wallet and have Bitcoin without permission. And on top of that, anybody can join the network and start mining Bitcoin as well without permission. You can't just uh, log into Facebook's API and start building stuff on Facebook. Right. Uh, but you can with Bitcoin. Talk to us about that permissionless piece of Bitcoin and the way you see it. You know, first and foremost, I think the four, mil- the four billion number is correct. I think it's more than two that, that are without bank accounts. And yeah. you're absolutely right when it comes to the permissionless aspect of Bitcoin. It's so important that that permissionlessness exists when it comes to supporting the network, if if everyone needed permission to mine, yeah. Bitcoin never would have got off the ground. Or run a node or yeah. whatever, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that aspect of it makes it such a great thing. And, you know, when we when we launched Compass, it was a big part of uh, of our battle cry, right? Since there's this permissionless, the next thing that you need to, to do is add a democratization to mm-hmm. that permissionless because there is still this hurdle that people have to overcome if they want to get into mining or running a node, and that's the cost to get started. Yeah. Right. So there is an element of that to it. And we're working every day to decrease that cost and, and eliminate that hurdle so that truly everyone can mine Bitcoin or run a node or yeah. participate in the network. Yeah. A lot of people, um, a lot of criticism. Actually, I spent, I think, three weeks breaking down like uh, the top FUD things that people would say. Yeah. And one of them being that, uh, you know, Bitcoin's not fair because, um, uh, because, you know, people have access to it. The rich people have this unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. But I said, no, because everyone has the same opportunity to mine Bitcoin. Sure. Um, now, granted, there's these giant firms that uh, can go buy, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of equipment. Yeah. Um, but then someone could buy one mining one mining rig. Right. And they do they have the same opportunity? They do. I mean, economies of scale differ slightly, but... I liken it to real estate, right? If you're looking at a BlackRock or a massive land developer, they have an outsized reward for developing that land and, and you know, selling that property um, versus, let's say, someone who's just buying one income producing property or rental property or whatever the case may be. It's very similar to mining. You have an ability to generate revenue, but the amount of revenue you generate, as with most things, it's, it's a capital in, capital out right. uh, so, equation. So- um, while someone might be able to buy um, a thousand mining rigs, mm-hmm. and I can buy one mining rig, on a per rig basis, are we doing about the same? Just they just about. have a thousand of them, right? Just so, about. kind of to the real estate example that you said, um, I can buy one single family rental home. Mm-hmm. BlackRock can buy a thousand single family rental homes, but on a per single family rental home, we're doing about the same. Now, granted, they may get a little bit better terms, correct, because of the volume. But your unit economics are generally the same. The unit economics mm-hmm. are about the same. And so uh, for that piece of FUD, it's not really true because, uh, yes, because they have more money, um, they can have more rigs, just like BlackRock can buy more homes. Mm-hmm. But um, we have the same opportunity to join the network and mine on the network. That's correct. And this is really where Compass works to help people, right, is because the economies of scale do make a slight difference. And we're able to give people this uh, that are coming in on a, an individual level the ability to tap those same economies of scale. Hmm. And yeah. the economies of scale matter. I mean, uh, when you're talking about a thousand machines versus one machine, your power price is going to be a little bit different because right. you've got a bigger draw, right? You consume more, you pay a little bit less. 
Uh, but it's still very, very profitable for everyone participating in Bitcoin mining right now. Uh, and it has been for the last two years. Yeah. I mean, no different than a back to the real estate ex- analogy because yeah. everybody understands that if I owned uh, 50 rental properties in this town, mm-hmm. uh, the property management company I would use would probably give me a better rate. And yeah. then I can have one full-time you know manager that can do all that versus you, you'd pay more because you just had one. So right. I mean, that makes sense. But uh, from the permissionless standpoint, we basically all have the same opportunity to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, you know, one thing that uh, I love about Bitcoin is that while it's still new, um, it's actually pretty battle hardened at this point, right? I mean, we had the block size wars mm-hmm. in 2017. Yep. Um, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but we had about 80% of the miners went against the network in 2017. And then we saw 2021 where China attacked the network and it was about 60% of the miners. And uh, both those times, the miners weren't really able to hurt or affect the network too much. So for the block size debate, the miners certainly influenced things. The The Chinese comment, that is, uh, that's more the hash rate just resided in China. There wasn't a, an attack on Bitcoin by the Chinese okay. government. But um, but yeah, the, the miners in China are certainly independent of the government. They, they were there to support the network. Um, and they're honestly the ones who really bootstrapped the network, if you want to look at it like that. But... You're right. The miners have not had and have not taken, um, you know, the stance of, of attacking Bitcoin's network. They've always been very pro-Bitcoin. You'll find that most miners are actually the longest Bitcoin, the most bullish on Bitcoin. Because not only are they buying it, they're also buying equipment that costs hundreds of billions of dollars yeah. to support the network. Yeah. Yeah, the CapEx, right? So yeah, yeah. The, the the investment that you have to make. So yeah. even if I was on my own mining and I'm going to spend whatever, 5000 or $10,000 yeah. on an equipment... I'm in for the long run because now I have to get that $10,000 back right. plus all the time and, and whatnot that I put into it. So um, in in those two examples, um, the mining couldn't really change the network. You're talking about democratizing Bitcoin mining. So why why democratize it? Is it so people can earn it as opposed to having to buy it? So it could, miners could influence the network. And, you know, maybe this is a little little bit of a tinfoil hat scenario, but I think of it like if you have enough of these large public mining companies controlling enough of Bitcoin's hash rate, it's only a matter of time before the control of those actual companies is held by some of the same players right now, which we, you know, effectively support Bitcoin to fight against. Mm. So it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to think that like a BlackRock or some of these other big firms could come in and take substantial positions in publicly traded mining companies, and then they would have sway over the entire Bitcoin network. So when we want to democratize hash rate, what we want is to put a miner in the hands of every person because if we have enough of those node holders throughout the world, you're never going to reach that 51% consensus that you need to meaningfully influence Bitcoin's network. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, there's been several videos I haven't, I don't think I've actually done one, but several videos showing how all the biggest companies, if you go, they're publicly traded and you mm-hmm. go look at who owns their stock, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, pretty much BlackRock, BlackRock. and Vanguard yeah. uh, owning them all. Um, and then if you look at who owns those, they all own each other. Yeah. And so, uh, to your point, and even, even like MicroStrategy, I mean, they own that as well. BlackRock, yeah. Um, 
just because they they own all those uh, those stocks. So um, that is that is a risk. I want to dig into that risk um, and and play that out a little bit. And then I want to talk about um, maybe some of why China wanted to get rid of their um, sure. Bitcoin power. I want to talk about that as well. You're listening to The Mark Ma Show. Uh, of course, we're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about this decentralized revolution that's happening right now. I'm sitting down in the studio in Los Angeles with Whit Gibbs. He is the CEO of Compass Mining. You can find him on Twitter at Bitcoin Broski. And uh, he knows about Bitcoin mining. That's what they do. And I got a lot more questions Coming up again, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, talking about Bitcoin and the decentralized revolution. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about Bitcoin. Of course, what else would I be talking about? The most important thing that will ever happen in our lifetime, multiple lifetimes for that matter. I'm in the studio in LA with uh, sitting down with Whit Gibbs. He's the CEO of Compass Mining. You can find him on Twitter at Bitcoin Broski. Um, maybe at some point you should Maybe make that a little more professional there, Wit. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining is such a big, important piece. A lot of people don't know about it. Compass Mining is helping to democratize that for the average person. Now, Wit, before the break, we were talking about uh, that permissionless aspect and how uh, you know Compass is trying to democratize yeah. that. Um, let's go back. I, w- I want to dig into some of what you said about maybe these public companies getting this inordinate amount of sh- you know share of the Bitcoin mining power, what could happen. There's some risk there. I want to talk about China and maybe what happened and why they got that kicked out. Uh, but before we do, let's take it back a couple notches for everybody that's listening. Um, give us the, uh, I hate when people do this to me. They say, explain Bitcoin to me like I'm five years old in two minutes. And I'm like, dude, that ain't going to happen. Like I can't do it. Right. But, uh, Explain mining to us like we're five years old and in two minutes. Sure, no problem. So if anyone is listening to this right now on a phone or on a tablet or on a device, right? They're listening to iHeartRadio. It's running on that device. Yeah. And iHeartRadio is pinging servers somewhere to support the function of the network itself. Okay. Bitcoin mining are the servers which run the Bitcoin network. So just like iHeartRadio is pinging servers so it can operate on your cell phone, Bitcoin is pinging the Bitcoin miners network so that it can operate, it can process transactions, and it can add new blocks to the blockchain, right? That's why it's called a blockchain. Miners create batches of transactions. They put those into blocks. They add those blocks to a chain, which is that blockchain or an immutable ledger. And it allows for us to maintain resiliency, keep the security of the network, and to keep the chain moving along. And that's the easiest way to think of it. Yeah. So they're processing transactions. That is right. this yes, that is simply put the best way to think of it. Mm-hmm. It is the security and processing of the blockchain and the network itself. Now, Bitcoin actually has a couple layers, right? So you have uh, coin holders, so if I own coins, um, and then the nodes, which run the database. Mm-hmm. So we have a centralized database, like Facebook is a centralized. Right. Bitcoin is a decentralized database, so there's a bunch of databases. Those are the nodes. Mm-hmm. And then you have the miners, which then process the transactions. And I think, to your analogy, they're pinging the databases. So the the, the, the miners are then connecting and talking to the nodes. Miners, miners are effectively nodes themselves. So you have nodes, which are, uh, they are an aspect of the network, but they do not batch and, and add blocks to the chain. And then you have the miners, which are nodes, they, they can be pinged, but they also have the ability to add new blocks to the blockchain. Okay. Um, now, in the early days of Bitcoin, you could just download it onto an old laptop and probably mine from there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Today, it's gotten a lot more competitive. We have all these you know, specialty computers, yes. these new mining chips that have been brought out, and et cetera. And so um, I do still see things about mining on your phone. It seems kind of scammy to me. Can you really mine Bitcoin on your phone? You cannot okay. mine Bitcoin on your phone. And anything that you ever see that says otherwise, you can't really mine any cryptocurrency on your phone. Okay. So anyone that ever says that, it's a, a buyer beware situation. Um, this is an industry that is wrought with people trying to sell you pipe dreams, and that is certainly one of them. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, you talk about democratizing Bitcoin mining, and uh, here we are in Southern California. Uh, and in Southern California, where I'm at, uh, we have a tiered electricity pricing structure. Mm -hmm. So the more electricity you use, the more you pay. In the summertime, at my top tier, I'm paying 40 cents mm -hmm. per kilowatt hour. Yeah. Can I mine Bitcoin at my house at 40 cents a kilowatt hour? <laughs> you should not mine Bitcoin <laughs> at your house for 40 cents per kilowatt okay. hour. I mean, you can profitably, profitably mine Bitcoin at uh, at around 30 cents right now. Oh, you can. You can at home. However, that's going to change. Okay. And as the the network grows, as more people plug these ASICs, which are the servers designed specifically to mine Bitcoin, yeah. as they plug those in, you're going to run into situations where you're not able to okay. uh, to mine profitably at home. Where do you need to be to be competitive? Like under 5 cents? Under eight cents. Oh, right eight now. cents. Yes. So eight cents is where I would I would put the absolute cutoff at Compass. We don't list anything for seven. That's seven cents or greater. Okay. So we are under seven cents for all of our offerings. Okay. Yes. And then at seven cents, so so the single biggest expense that you have besides buying the uh, the initial upfront investment of buying the equipment mm -hmm. is then running it, which is the electricity. And so that's that's your cost. That's correct. It's about one hundred and sixty dollars a month per machine. One hundred sixty dollars a month per machine. Mm -hmm. um, what does the average machine go for? The average machine right now is selling for about $9,000. Wow. Yes. And you're looking at making roughly, depending on the model, 20 bucks a day. So interesting side note, um, in 2019, I've been, a, you know, I've been, I've been my whole career has been investing. Yeah. I've, I've been investing in energy, uh, oil and gas for a long time. In 2019, I, I'm a GP in an oil field that we have going. It's not super profitable. Should have done better. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, in 2019, I was working with a publicly traded oil company out of Dallas, Texas. And uh, for a while, I was trying to see if I could find a way to get this flare gas and turn into Bitcoin mining. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, I got a company. The CEO was, was into it. Um, in, in uh, late 2019, I think it was November, we spun off a subsidiary, created a new pub, a new subsidiary company just to do mining on the, on the flare gas. Um, December, I remember going to the company party, like January hit the road and going to raise money, had all the quotes for the, you know, we're going to put up, put, put rigs at the wellheads mm -hmm. and do all that. All right. I think the, the invoices, uh, for the mining rigs at the time were like 2,500 bucks. Yes. It was like 2,500 bucks. This was, uh, January, February. December 19, January 2020, mm -hmm. we went on the roadshow, raised the money, had commitments on the money, had all the invoices to to buy the mining equipment at a couple thousand bucks a piece, maybe 3,000 bucks a piece, everything ready to go. And then March 2020 happened. Oil went negative $35 a barrel. Yep. That little pubco uh, CEO lost his job Oof. and uh, my whole thing fell apart. <laughs> I could have looked like a friggin' hero, man. Right. It would have been like the best time to start it. You would have front ran the trend. I mean, oh. that's a big trend now, mining with flared gas. So yeah, you would have been at the for the forefront of that. I mean, there was there you know there was people people doing it. Sure, but since that time, so Bitcoin also so oil plummeted to negative thirty five. Mm -hmm. 
Bitcoin also plummeted to right. what thirty eight hundred ish or whatever. Yeah. And from that price, it went from thirty eight hundred, and today it's I don't know thirty five, forty thousand ish. Um. So we had this massive bull run in the price, and so that was good for mining, right? The price going up, Absolutely. I'm guessing, is good for mining because yeah. your cost is fixed, right? Once you buy your equipment, yes, and you have your fixed electricity, then if the price goes up, you make more money. Absolutely. Although the difficulty adjustment changes. Um, but then, um, at the, as that happened, then, um, about a year later, you had 60% of the network get shut off in China, which was also good for Bitcoin mining. Yes. So the last two years have been very good for Bitcoin mining. And I would say a golden era. A golden era. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious what the next two years looks like with all this institutional mining jumping in, and then we don't know what the price is going to look like. So I want to ask you about that. I also want to find out, um, you say it's the golden era of, of Bitcoin mining, but yes. really if we look back through history and we have these halving cycles, there's good and bad sections Absolutely. of the Bitcoin mining. So I'm curious what that looks like. Um, by the way, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show uh, where we talk about Bitcoin and we talk about the decentralized revolution. Uh, Bitcoin is revolutionary for so many reasons, one being it's permissionless and anybody can jump in and mine it. I'm joined in the studio in Los Angeles with Whit Gibbs. He is the CEO of Compass Mining. You can find him on Twitter at Bitcoin Broski. They're working to democratize Bitcoin mining because I can't mine it in California because it's 40 cents per kilowatt hour. Uh, but with Compass Mining, I could do something like that. Uh, we're going to be back with those questions and more. Don't go away. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. 
It'll be a match, I promise. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, and we are talking about Bitcoin. Of course. What else would I be talking about? We're talking about this decentralized revolution that's happening uh, right now, borderless, permissionless immutable, censorship-resistant. Bitcoin's also personless. Uh, I was just thinking about this. I remember um, Andreas Antopoulos talked about Bitcoin being personless. And what does that mean? So in order to have money today, you have to be a person. In order to get a bank account, you have to show, you have to be a person. Bitcoin is personless. So a machine could have a Bitcoin wallet. That is true. So like if you think about like Tesla and their self-driving <laughs> autonomous cars, and the idea is that you could go to, your car could drop you off at work. And then while you're working, your, your Tesla could go around and run an Airbnb for you or something. So you could have an autonomous car with its own Bitcoin wallet and it could earn money. Bitcoin is personless. But the real question is, wouldn't a person have to set the wallet up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like this uh, evolution argument. Like, uh, okay, we evolved from an amoeba, but where did life come from? That's a whole other subject. The chicken or the egg. That's a whole other subject. Anyway, uh, so I was talking about uh, my almost home run becoming a CEO of a publicly traded uh, Bitcoin mining company. Uh, one of many swings and misses I've had in my career, although I've had some home runs too, so that, that's go. cool. Uh, but it went into this kind of perfect storm of this golden age, mm-hmm. this golden era of Bitcoin mining, as you've called it. Um, but now we have this flood of Bitcoin mining equipment coming on board, um, which actually this is another subject we'll talk about, but um, they're waiting <laughs> one to two years to get equipment. It seems like some of these big mm-hmm. uh, big publicly traded companies I've yeah. seen, uh, maybe it was Mara said they're just going to go buy a bunch of Bitcoin while they're waiting kind of a thing. Um, so th- there's that coming on board and then we don't know what's going to happen with the price. So what do you think happens? We've, we've had the golden age. That was your words of Bitcoin mining. What, what does the future of Bitcoin mining have? So in one word, stability. Okay. Now I will, I want to go back to the, the reason why these publicly traded mining companies take a year or two years to acquire all of the hardware that they're looking at. And that's simply just for price. They're able to get steep discounts if they can fund the tape out and the manufacturing of these new machines uh, well in advance. So when you buy spot, you're going to pay generally a 40 to 60% premium on the hardware versus if you're willing to buy a futures order, you can get that discount and you're still going to produce the same amount of Bitcoin. You're just going to have to wait six months, four months, whatever it is for that machine to come online. Um, With regards to the cycles that we're going to see in Bitcoin mining, I think it's actually, we're entering a very exciting time because we now have institutional buyers of Bitcoin who are eliminating any sell pressure, Pressure, right? When we see a big dip, it gets eaten up by big buyers right. who have got an average entry price of around $45,000. So they obviously need to average down. If you're going to see Bitcoin drop below 40, these buyers are stepping in and keeping us above 32, 33 in most cases. Could it drop below? Sure. Yeah. But what I think is most likely to happen is we're going to see Bitcoin range 
at what are our, you know, our new lows in the 30s. And then we're going to continually stair step up. So we'll have a big run and then we'll find a new range low. And then we'll have a big run and we'll find a new range low. And what this does is it gives miners every time there's that run to maximize their profitability. And then once that new range forms, now we have a new standardized range for where mining profitability will sit. And each time will be more than the last. So yeah. we're going to see increased profitability year over year. I mean, there's not going to be any more Bitcoin. Yeah. So because of scarcity, the price of Bitcoin should continue to increase. Yeah. Fortunately, with mining equipment now, we're seeing a little bit of a break from Moore's Law, which means that every two years we're not seeing a drastic improvement in the mm. hardware, but we're still seeing you know similar machines being priced similarly. So that would say that as mining continues to grow, which it will need to as a function of Bitcoin's network, each miner coming on has more and more profit potential yeah. in the coming years. Yeah, Moore's Law has to take a break at some point. I just bought a uh, brand new 75-inch flat screen. Ooh. And uh, I replaced my 65-inch flat screen that I had for <laughs> nine years. Wow. And uh, I went to the store and I looked at every single one and I compared one to the next. And I was like, if they didn't have the prices next to them, I couldn't even tell the difference. Right. I ended up buying one of the most, you know, one of the more expensive ones. I just figured, shoot, if I haven't, if I've gone 10 years without a new one, I guess it'll give me another 10 years. And I get home and I look at my old 65 inch. I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's any better. And so Moore's <laughs> law, like at some point, like it's incremental, right? Like how much better can it get? Kind well, of a thing. well, these chips, right? So when we talk about nanometers, okay, here's the way to think of it. A seven nanometer chip, which was the last generation of Bitcoin mining machines. Okay. You take a strand of hair, a third of one strand of your hair is a seven nanometer chip, the width of it, right? So now we're into five nanometers. Soon we're gonna be in three nanometers. There is a finite amount that we're gonna be able to, to achieve with this because the technology to produce these ever thinner machines is gonna be just more and more. Yeah, um, it, but maybe more energy efficient. Is that something that you think will probably happen? So maybe maybe the hash power, the, the, the performance of the machine doesn't mm -hmm. get as much, but maybe the but the energy consumption is better? Yes, that's ultimately what the, the new targets are. Right. Right? They're looking for more energy efficient chips. Uh, Bitmain has just announced their water-cooled unit, their mm. you know S19 Hydro, um, which we'll see. I mean, there's a lot that, that can happen when you introduce water <laughs> into yeah. something that's normally dry. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how that's engineered. Now, I got a lot more questions that I want to ask you. Okay. I, want to, I want to dig into uh, China. I made a video called The Second uh, Fatal Mistake They Made. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about um, uh, some of this ESG kind of narratives. But before mm -hmm. we do, a lot of people say compass mining is a scam. Yeah. And I dug into some of that stuff, and uh, it just seems like, I don't know why people are saying that. Everyone's just, I think, mad because their Bitcoin mining equipment is taking longer to get than mm -hmm. they thought it was going to take. Um, as if people don't realize supply chains are broken. Uh, I'm in Southern California. I can see the ships sitting off the sh off the yeah. coast all the time. So I can see. Uh, do you want to address that? Yeah. I mean, look, the metric for success at Compass is the shortest distance between the time you purchase and the time that your machine comes online. That's when success can be achieved. If we can make that 24 hours, everyone will be happy. Mm -hmm. Now, because this is mining and because this is Bitcoin, after I spend money on a product or service, any delay between when I'm able to start realizing the benefit of that product or service, FUD creeps in. Right. Everyone, I'm going to go online and I'm going to see, oh, it must be a scam. In the past, these have been scams. And eventually you believe the narrative. Right. But ultimately, all that has happened is Compass has done very well at getting most of our miners online within 72 hours or less. 
when China came offline, it created this unprecedented delay in rack space because there just wasn't enough, there weren't, weren't enough facilities to host all of this equipment that now needed to find a new home. And Compass was impacted. We had 23 megawatts of customers or about 7,000 customers who were impacted by these delays. Um, and we had to work vigorously to stand up new facilities. Is it is it the rack space or is it the mining equipment itself? The rack space. Oh, really? Yeah. So no, it's not the actual computer. It's it, the rack space. That's, that's correct. Wow. But the thing is, is the supply chain plays a part there too. You need electrical equipment. You need panels. You need PDUs or power supplies, right? Yeah. All of these things come from China as well. So there are delays on those. Oh, okay. So that's where a lot of this comes in. And I mean, before these, so delays, the equipment, the equipment's coming in. It's yeah, the rack space that's the yeah. problem. The miners are no issue whatsoever. So what's the what's the average wait time to get one spun up? So right now, your average wait time is about four months. Oh, four months. Yes. Okay. But as of March, we'll be back to seventy two hours because you have new facilities that are coming on board yes. and stuff like that. Yeah. All of twenty twenty one, we put on about forty three megawatts worth of, worth of hosted capacity. We already have two hundred and eighty two megawatts of hosted capacity um, guaranteed and slotted for twenty twenty two. Yeah. So, yeah. That's that's a lot. And when when someone buys it uh, through Compass and then mm-hmm. you host it for them, do they own that piece of equipment? They do. Yeah, yeah. they receive a serial number. And so if that if that, if that facility went bankrupt or got shut down, they would get their equipment returned to them. They would. They okay. would. And we also have a marketplace. So if they wanted to sell it, they could sell it right through Compass to somebody else. Mm. Are people selling them right now? They are. I mean, you got to think if if you bought this machine in for three thousand and I can sell yeah, for ten thousand now. Yeah, you bought it in July for seventy five hundred. You can sell it now, or you could have sold it in October for fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand. So okay, yeah. You're listening to the Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about Bitcoin mining specifically. I'm in the studio in Southern California with Whit Gibbs. He is the CEO of Compass Mining. You can check him out. They're helping to democratize Bitcoin mining. Uh, we just covered a lot of ground. We have more talking about what to expect, what's happening in China, and so much more. Uh, check out Wit at Twitter, at Bitcoin Broski, and don't go away. I'm going to be right back with more. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show, where we talk about Bitcoin and the decentralized revolution that is happening, trying to help you make sense of this. This is the biggest opportunity, in my opinion, the greatest risk-adjusted investment that you may ever see in your life. And you want to be in the right position to take advantage of that, and you do that by having the right information the education, and the information, which is why you should be listening each and every week to The Mark Moss Show. I'm in the studio right now sitting down with Whit Gibbs. He is the CEO of Compass Mining. They're helping to democratize Bitcoin mining for everybody. Like me in Southern California, I can't mine Bitcoin at my house because it's too expensive for the energy. But using a company like Compass, I could set up my own Bitcoin mining. Um, anyway, Wit, uh, we've covered a lot of ground here. The one thing that I really want to talk about, because this is probably the biggest uh, hot button issue, is that uh, mainstream media tells me that Bitcoin mining is going to boil the oceans and it's going to kill the polar bears and even grandma. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, supposedly it uses more energy than, uh, well, actually, I think... Was it the World Economic Forum said in 2017 that by 2020 it would use more electricity than like the entire world? Than the world could produce. Than the world, it would use all the electricity the world could produce. Yeah. And I think I saw yesterday that the latest report showed it only used 0.8% of the energy uh, or something like that. Yeah, 0.8% of the world's production every year. That's correct. Yeah. So when, so yeah. they said it was going to be 100% and mm-hmm. we're at less, less than, than 0%. Yeah. Less or less than one percent, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, are you saying that it's not going to boil the 
oceans and kill the polar bears and grandma? I'm <laughs> it's certainly not. Grandma's safe. Grandma's safe. Grandma's All right. safe. What I will say is that I don't uh, want grandma to die. They told me she might do it, you know. Anyway. We we still gotta figure out how to get grandma to set up a wallet and receive transactions without it being a headache. I think that's the focus that we should pay to grandma. Uh, but you know, mining is mining is easy to attack. It's the low hanging fruit. It consumes energy. Um, but I really think that anytime you see these headlines, the real question is who's putting that out there and why? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, I mean, Nick Carter said it best. An attack on Bitcoin mining is just an attack on Bitcoin. It's an attack on non-state money. And it's usually perpetuated by the same people who are in power right now who want to stay in power. If yeah. you take away people's ability to control the monetary supply, what do they have left? Yeah. The one thing that I hate about it, well, there's so many things I hate, but the one, the probably the biggest thing that I hate is they say it's a waste of electricity. Mm. And the thing that I hate about that, I don't, I don't like to use that word typically. Yeah. Uh, but what I do hate about that is that who are you to tell me what a waste is? Or who am I to tell somebody else what a waste is? You may like to meditate for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. What a waste of your time sitting there. You could be productive. Or you might like to play video games or TV or whatever yeah. it may be. And like, who am I to say what waste is? Sure. One man's trash is another man's treasure, right? Absolutely. And so um, just because you don't find value in it doesn't mean I don't. And so I that's what I do hate. Um, as far as a lot of the other misinformation that may be out there... Um, I did actually, I, I, I did a whole series debunking a bunch of these FUD headlines and that was one of them. But um, when you look at the data, we actually have a lot of wasted electricity or energy right now. And when I say wasted, not that it's being used for a use that you don't like. What I mean is that it's actually being produced and no one's even using it. Correct. And then it just goes to, yeah. to waste, like literally like in a sure. waste, like in a waste bin. And so... Um, Bitcoin can only use really to be profitable has to use wasted energy, something like that. Do you want to explain that? Yeah. So Bitcoin mining is going to always gravitate towards the cheapest, most plentiful sources of power. And naturally, people are going to sell energy that they wouldn't otherwise be able to sell at a discount. Right. right. Because it's 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 some of some of uh, a little of something is better than all of nothing. So supply and demand. Right. So in California, we don't have enough power, which is why it's 40 cents a watt. Correct. In order to get it for three cents a watt, why could I get it so cheap? Well, because someone's producing it and people aren't buying it. That's right. So then I would go there. Yeah. Well, I mean, and actually, I think this impacted you. The last time that we spoke, we had talked about your mining operations back in the day. And I think you had something set up in Washington. I did. And the reason that Washington shut down is because the power plants in Washington had to sell at a a steep discount to locals. And a lot of miners went there because they had all of this excess. Then they realized that they could export that energy and send it to California and sell it for five times the price. So they shut down all of the Bitcoin mining facilities so they could sell it at a markup somewhere else. And that's just the, that's the market that's letting the market do its thing. Yeah. And I think that's what pisses me off is that uh, you have people that are trying to interfere with free markets. Yeah. Right. The energy is going to be produced. If you want to have a meaningful, uh, make a meaningful change on the environment, attack industries that are consuming lots and lots of fossil fuels. When you look at Bitcoin mining, it consumes a very small amount of energy and the majority of the energy that it is consuming is coming from renewable sources. So, you know. I'm okay just going against that whole narrative overall, to be honest with you. I think what they've done is they've framed up their argument mm-hmm. and now we're trying to argue in their frame. The reality is, is that humans have flourished because of our use of energy. Agreed. And so even trying to argue in this ESG box that they've built, we're already losing, in my opinion. But that's a that's that's a topic for a whole other story. You know, it's actually a very a very valid point though, because we're now you know us us not arguing within their box is almost like us being bringing a pen to a gunfight. 
Yeah. Because now we've got it out being argued in front of Congress. We've got all of these these depositions and hearings that are taking place. We need to fight back on the narrative for sure. Yeah. This brings us back to the previous comment is why does this narrative narrative exist in the first place? Right. And that's because there's so much of Bitcoin's network and Bitcoin in general being held by people like the BlackRocks who have set out to make ESG a thing. Well, they like ESG because it's a way they can control. They can control. Oh, yeah. So um, the way that they can achieve control is Henry Kissinger told us. He, he told us, he said, control the food, you control the people. Control the money, you control a nation. Control the energy, you control the world. Mm. He told us. Yeah. Food, money, energy. Those are three things. And so the energy control the world. And so if I can set these arbitrary ESG narratives, mm -hmm. then, and I can make you comply to them, then I can control. And if I can control the energy output that you do. Yeah. And so that's what it ultimately comes down to is this, is this control function. And I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't able to think very good today. <laughs> nobody listened to this show, of course. Uh, but nobody, you know, people aren't able to think very well today because there's so much nuance in this. And so mm -hmm. like, just because I'm saying that people are probably listening and thinking Mark hates the environment. That could be nothing further from the truth. Like I love him. I'm, I'm, I'm in the ocean surfing almost every day. I'm in the mountains snowboarding. I love, I'm in right. the deserts. Like I love nature and I want it to be there for my great, great grandkids. Sure. Um, those two things aren't mutually, uh, exclusive, right? We can love the environment and still believe that they're trying to control the world through an ESG narrative. Well, and I, I think that's absolutely correct. And I think the, the flip side of this is you got to ask yourself, do you love people? Right. Because if you love people, <laughs> yeah. then you need this energy. Yeah. Right. We look at Texas last year, there was this deep freeze that broke the grid effectively and people died. Yeah. Right. And now you look at this year, same storm, right? We're the same freeze. You see it's happening right now. And, yeah, right now. But the difference is that over the last year, Bitcoin miners have flocked to Texas. They've helped to build a better grid. And now we're not facing the same blackouts in Texas because the miners can feed that energy that they've spent a year building back into the network, which can power those people's homes. So people don't have to die. They don't have mm -hmm. to freeze to death. Great point. I just bought a 12 and a half acre ranch uh, just outside of Austin and uh, I got four cows and a goat and a donkey and all that with it. <laughs> and um, I just took possession uh, about a week ago. The previous owner was renting back for a while and he messaged us uh, yesterday and said, uh, hey, uh, ice storm is coming. Animals may die. <laughs> like you better do something. I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to deal with animals in an ice storm in Texas. I'm in California. Uh, anyway, funny story about the ice storm, I guess, but, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad the electricity will stay on. I hope your cows live. live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we have a ranch hand, so he was like, oh, I'll go out there and I'll, I'll take care of them. <laughs> so, uh, put some jackets on them or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, you're listening to the Mark Moss show. We're talking about Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining today. I'm in, joined in the studio here with Whit Gibbs. He is the CEO of Compass Mining and, uh, they're helping to democratize Bitcoin mining. Um, I think that Bitcoin is the most important thing that uh, it's the most important thing in the world right now. That's why I'm deciding to focus my whole career on it right now. And everybody can do their part by mining some, by running a node, <laughs> buying some, hold it in cold storage and so forth. Um, and you can do that with Compass Mining or another company like that. Um, I would advise you to check that out. Check out running a node. Again, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show. Um, check out Compass Mining, and thank you so much for listening. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought 
in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.